I love to preach God's Word. And I try to think of, what am I going to say last sermon, even though I haven't been here a whole long time? It is my last time with you. And um, the Lord just laid this passage on my heart today, and I want to share it with you, maybe challenge you a bit. I hope encourage you and help us just head the right direction. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And you can follow along on the outline that you have in your bulletin there. But uh, as you're turning to that, I, I want to just share a little Bible trivia with you. 26 of the 27 New Testament books contain the word love. 26 out of 27 of the New Testament books contain the word love. Do you have any idea what book in the New Testament doesn't contain the word love? The book of Acts. Does that kind of surprise you? The book of Acts. It doesn't contain the word, but the example of love permeates almost every page of the book of Acts. When you examine Christianity, when you take a look at what is involved in being a Christian, you can't escape the principle of love. In fact, the Christian life, bottom line, is all about love. Jesus taught it, and he lived it. And he challenges us to live that same kind of lifestyle as well. As the Apostle John wrote over in 1 John 4.21, and he has given us this command. What command? Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Years ago, up at uh, camp, we used to sing this song, Love, 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 love. The gospel in a word is love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, 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 love. Now, as simple as that little chorus is, it sums up the entire Christian life. As Paul put it in that famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I, I love the way the message puts it. No matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Did you catch that? No matter what I say, I, I can say all these wonderful and flowery things, or what I believe, or even what I do, I'm bankrupt if I do any of that without love. And then he goes on in the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 1, and says, Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. Now, in addition to 1 Corinthians 13, there's another love chapter in the New Testament. And it's this passage we're going to look at today, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Now, this passage isn't typically read at weddings like 1 Corinthians 13, but it tells us just as much, if not even more, about what it means to live a life of love. In these verses, Paul mentions ten ways that believers can express love to others. Ten ways. And I thought about that and thought, well, why not just call them the Ten Commandments of Love? These Ten Commandments come together and they fall into three different categories. And I want to just take a look at these today. Three primary ways that love expresses itself. And the first thing I want you to notice is love looks out for others. Love looks out for others. Our natural tendency is to look out for ourselves first, and when we get time, we'll look out for someone else. When it's convenient, then we'll take a look there. But Paul says, I want you to take a totally different approach. He's telling us to look out for others as well. 
He's telling us to watch out for the, the people around you. He tells us it involves three things, and this leads us to commandment number one, and that is be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. Look at verse 10, and there Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, the Greek word for devotion there is a word that's used to describe family relationships. It means to be tender and affectionate in your love for other Christians, just like the love that you express for your family members. One thing I've noticed about this church, and, and it's something that I really like about this church, is there are a bunch of huggers around here. Have you noticed that? I love to go out there and people just give you that hug. I think that's a great thing. I talked to people over the years. I've talked to people over the years who basically said, you know, the only hugs I get every week are the hugs I get on Sunday morning. I come to church just to feel loved. It's like the guy who saw a book in the window at a bookstore. It was entitled How to Hug. Well, he thought he'd buy it and learn how to be more loving. But then when he looked closer at the book, he realized that it was simply a volume in a set of encyclopedias. You've got to think that one through there. How to, oh, let's just move on. But some of you are probably mature enough to remember when you went to church and you heard people call each other brother and sister. How many of you have ever been in church and you heard someone say, hi, Sister Sue or Brother Bill? You remember that? And we have a tendency to think, man, that is really corny. I mean, why would anyone do that? But, you know, biblically, that is a really powerful thing. I mean, it's a commitment to care for that brother or sister there at church in the same way you care for your family. They are your family of faith. I'm going to just really put you on the spot. Turn to someone right now and say, hi, brother. And give them their name. Just go ahead. Do that right now. Hi, sister. Just try it. <laughs> now, how many of you will never do that again? But, but the deal is, friends, it is a powerful thing when you understand it in a biblical context. Commandment number two, give honor to one another. Give honor to one another. Paul goes on to say in verse 10... Honor one another above yourselves. Whoa, that seems kind of heavy. But the message version puts it this way. Practice playing second fiddle. I, I like the way that puts it. Leonard Bernstein, former conductor of the New York Philharmonic, was once asked, what is the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? He stopped and he thought for a moment, and then he said, second fiddle, second fiddle. I, I get plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play second fiddle with passion and enthusiasm, it's really hard to find someone like that. And if we have no second fiddle, he went on to say, we have no harmony. Paul echoed those words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, when he said, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too, and what they are doing. You know, another way of saying this is be polite. Be polite. We live in a world today where being polite just, you don't see that happen very often. 
But you know, that's something every one of us can do. It's something that every one of us should do. And we need to be doing that. I shared in the first service, it just came to me while I was talking, about one of the most intellectual, sharp guys I ever knew. His name was Ralph Earl. He was a professor of New Testament back at Nazarene Theological Seminary years ago. He also was a head of one of the committees that translated the New American Standard Version. This guy was just brilliant. But he was one of the most humble people I ever met. He was just warm and and one night he was preaching at the church that I worked in while I was in seminary. And at the end of the service, we were in Kansas City. And if you've ever been back there, every bad piece of weather goes through Kansas City. I mean, and that night it started to rain and then it started to snow. And he looked out and his car was way out in the parking lot. Now, he could have said to his wife, well, let's go get in the car. But no, he said, you stay here. And he walked out in the midst of the snow, drove the car right up to the curb, got out of the car, ran around, opened the car to let his wife in. And, you know, I, I had taken some classes from him. And I always had a high regard for him and respected him. But that night I learned something in seminary that I didn't learn in the classroom. I learned how you should treat one another. And that's what Paul is telling us here. Commandment number three is be generous to others. Be generous to others. Paul says in verse 13, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Now, obviously, we need to be generous to anyone, whether they're a member of the body of Christ or not. But the Bible tells us there is a priority here as well, that we should, first of all, make sure that we're taking care of members in our family of faith. In Galatians, he he reemphasizes that, and he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, whenever we have the opportunity... We should do good to everyone, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from a past generation, said, Feel for others in your pocket. Feel for others in your wallet, so to speak. In other words, love looks out for others. That means that we always factor in the effect that our actions are going to have on others before we do things. It means that we look out for one another. It means that in addition to taking care of our own needs and our our own things, we look out for opportunities to bless others, especially other members in the body of Christ. To me, that says when I come to church on Sunday, when I go to a Bible study, and I know I'm going to be with some other believers, I look for ways to bless them. I look for ways to encourage them. In fact, I still remember years ago, After a church service, uh, a good friend of mine came up to me and just out of the blue said, Larry, I just want you to know you're not going to fight any battles alone. I've got your back. You know how that made me feel? I mean, I wasn't going through any major battles at that point. But it was so good to know that someone was on my side. It was so good to know that someone had my back. You see, that's how love expresses itself. It looks out for others. I've got your back. You know what a friend is? A friend is someone who walks in when everyone else walks out. That's what a friend is. Someone who will walk into your situation and hang in there when everyone else walks away. Now, the second category that Paul talks about here is love seeks to understand. 
Love seeks to understand. Back in the 60s, Joe South sang a word that sang a song that had words that every Christian should apply to his or her life. If I could be you and you could be me for just one hour, if we could find a way to get inside each other's mind, if you could see me through your eyes instead of your ego, I believe you'd be surprised to see that you'd been blind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. And before you abuse, criticize, or accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. You see, love makes the effort to see the world from other people's perspectives, to understand their hurts and their pains, to understand their fears, hopes, and dreams. And we do this in three ways. Commandment number four, we understand by practicing empathy. We understand by practicing empathy. In fact, Paul says in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, but also mourn with those who mourn. You know, the best thing that you can do for someone who is hurting, just sympathize with them. Just sympathize with them. You don't need to preach to them. You don't need to put their problems in proper perspective for them. You don't need to explain the meaning of life to them. Just sympathize. Just be there with them. When college professor Jess Hines lost her father to a painful bout he had with, with bone cancer, she said it, it really bothered her some of the, some of the uh, mail that she got, some of the sympathy cards that she got. You see, many people tried to their best to talk her out of the grieving process. She said it was as if people were trying to distract her from the reality of going through what had happened in her life. Asking questions like, are you applying to grad school? Or how's your teaching going? Or are you still renovating your apartment? Or are you keeping busy? You see, what she really wanted people to say was, I am just so sorry for your loss. She said, I didn't want people to tell me how I should feel. I just wanted to move slowly through the process of sadness. I wasn't ready to be a chirping, cheery person. She also said that we should learn from the elephants. Elephants are known to grieve in groups. They loop their trunks together to support the bereaved. And like elephants, we should remain connected and aware of the hurts of those around us. But you know, this also goes for good news as well. We need to look for opportunities to celebrate victories when our friends have something good happen in their life. For example, when a friend gets a promotion, a new job, a new car, hits a home run at the church uh, picnic softball game, celebrate with them. You know, you don't need to remind them that the promotion comes with more responsibility or this new job is going to involve a whole lot of travel for them, or this new car gets lousy gas mileage, or that home run was a triple with an error. You see, it's not your job to bring people down. Just celebrate with them. Just build them up. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. Commandment number five, we understand by practicing unity. We understand by practicing unity. Listen to what Paul says in verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. 
I like what that word harmony implies. It means you're not singing the melody. You're just adding to the song. You're just part of the whole deal. The word harmony also implies that we're not all singing the same notes. And yet we're all still working together. Do you want to hear a powerful and profound spiritual truth? Well, here it is. God simply wants us to get along. God wants us, his people, to get along. In fact, the psalmist wrote, How wonderful it is, how pleasant, when brothers live together in harmony. You see, we're not all going to think alike. We're not all going to act alike. We're not all going to have the same interests. We're not all going to have the same kind of personality. In fact, take a look around the room right now. You'll notice that there is no one here as handsome or good-looking as you are. I mean, that's just the way it is, friends. We're all different. But, you know, we can still get along. We can live together in harmony. Commandment number six, we understand by practicing acceptance. We understand by practicing acceptance. In verse 16, Paul says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here's a test for every believer, every Sunday school class, for every group within the church. And here it is. How easily do outsiders fit in? How easy is it for outsiders to become a part of our group? You see, when it comes to people who are not as affluent as we are, or as intellectual, or thoroughly postmodern, or as cool as we are, how do they fit into your group. You see, this is what distinguishes us as a church from a country club. If we're the kind of church where only certain people or certain kinds of people fit in, where you have to be a certain type in order to be a part of the group, then we're not filling our job that God has called us to love one another. You see, love expresses itself by accepting others. And by others, I mean anyone who is not you. Anyone who is not you. You know, this is an area where the church just needs to really grow up. Uh, You know, the Bible talks about sin. There's no doubt about it. It's black and white about a whole lot of things and what's right or wrong. But it never says, don't accept anyone into your church. It never tells us not to accept someone into the church. And the church needs to be a place where anyone can be accepted. Um, This is my last sermon, so I'm going to just share this. Um, When I was pastoring up in um, Ontario, we we had a person come to to our church. And uh, if there's one thing in the world... One sin that bothers me probably more than anything else, and it may just make you sick, is child molestation. I mean, that's, I, that just, but a guy came to our church, and I, I discovered that he had been in prison, was released. He had gone to another church, and they literally threw him out. Said, you can't come here. His wife and he came for counseling and said, can we come and 
we have friends who will come and watch my husband. In fact, they had a whole group of 20-some people who said, we will come and make sure he never causes any problem in the church, but he needs to be in church. And I said, you know, let's give it a shot. In fact, I, I called my district superintendent. You wouldn't know him or anything at this point and, uh, because he's gone. And uh, he literally said, you need to put a sign up, child molest, uh, molester attends his church. I said, no, we're not going to do that. And so I, I called Rick Warren's church, which was one of the bigger churches in Southern California. And, and, I, and I, I talked to people there who were in charge. And, and I called Church on the Way, Jack Hayford, whom I happen to know, and, and, and asked him, what would you do? And he says, you can never tell someone they can't come to your church. You just need to make sure that you protect him and you protect them. And uh, I, um, I, I, I won't tell you all the stuff I went through on that deal. But you know, he became a vital member of that church. He always had someone there to protect him and others. What I'm saying, friend, is, friends, is God loves everyone. And I don't care who you are or what you've done. You can be accepting, but he does give us a mind. And he does show us how to handle things like that, whatever it may be. You see, others are anyone except you, and everyone except you. The third way love just expresses itself is love takes the high road. You know, if you ever want to get depressed, just read some of the blogs out there, especially some of those religious blogs. I I was, you'll discover very quickly that there are some really mean people out there. And if you disagree with them about political issues, social issues, theological issues, they'll just bite your head off. It's amazing. In fact, I was reading the blog of a a Christian celebrity, a so-called Christian celebrity, not that long ago. And he was just tearing another Christian celebrity apart. And, And someone said, well, your attitude isn't very charitable. And he responded by saying, well, the other guy was uncharitable first. So I guess it makes it okay because the other guy was uncharitable first. No. We're called to do things a little differently than the world. We're called to do things differently than everyone else. We're called to take the high road when necessary. And we do this in four ways. Commandment number seven. You take the high road by responding to mistreatment with kindness. In fact, Paul says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know, for a good percentage of us, the most persecution we're ever going to face is an occasional insult or a snide remark. But when it happens, how do you respond? What's your response to that? Do you lash out? No, Paul would say, no, smile. Say nothing about the insult. Return it with a sincere compliment, but don't do it with sarcasm. Sounds almost impossible, doesn't it? Well, that's how love responds to mistreatment, with a blessing, not a curse. 
But he moves on, and we move to commandment number eight. Take the high road by setting an example. In verse 17, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. On the surface, that sounds impossible because everybody doesn't agree with what's right or what's wrong. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's actually saying, set an example for others to follow. He's saying, just set an example for others to follow. In fact, the New Living Translation puts it like this. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do things in such a way that everyone can just see that you're honorable. There's an old gospel song that says, Your life is the only Bible some people read. We need to constantly remember that our responsibilities as believers is to lead by example. And then commandment nine, take the high road by practicing peace. Paul says in verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And again, that sounds absolutely impossible, but Paul was a genius. He says, he adds this clause, Be at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. You know, there's some people that you're just not going to be able to live at peace with because they won't let you live at peace with them. And so Paul says, as much as it depends on you, you live at peace with everyone. You see, your job, my job as a believer, is to do the best that we can do with what we have. Attempt to see things from their perspective. And as much as it is possible, then live at peace with everyone. And when it's not possible, you just do what God has called you to do. And commandment 10, take the high road by forgiving others. Paul said in verse 19, Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And here's what Paul is saying. You don't have to settle your own scores. You don't have to keep track of who deserves retribution and who doesn't. That's God's business. Your job description is simply forgive, bless those who curse you, and strive to live at peace with those around you. Let me share just a couple of reasons why it's good to not be involved in revenge. First of all, Revenge is one of the worthless worthless emotions that you can have. It saps your strength. What you're doing when you take revenge is you're looking back to the past at something that's happened to you in the past, and it's hindering you from living effectively today or moving on to the future. You know, a lot of people can't get on with the present. There's no chance that they can move into a positive way about the future because they're still holding on to the past. Some boyfriend hurt them. Some girlfriend just wiped out on them. Some parent hurt them. Some former spouse hurt them. Whatever it may be, they are still so reacting to the past that they can't get on with the future, and so they're just stuck. You don't want to waste your energy that way. And secondly, we need to leave room for God's wrath. And that sounds kind of weird, but God says it's mine to avenge. Who would you rather have getting even for you, you or God? How many of you know that God has more resources than you do? How many of you would say God is sharper than you are? Well, turn to someone and say God is sharper than you are. Just tell them that right now. 
is absolutely... I mean, come on, friends, think about it. I, I heard about a guy who, who had gotten ripped off for a large amount of money. And he wanted to take the guy to court, but he read in Scripture that Christians aren't supposed to be suing other Christians and taking them to court. And so he wanted to teach the other fellow a lesson, but he went to a Christian counselor. And his counselor said, do you want to teach him a lesson, or do you want God to teach him a lesson? You know, if we take matters into our own hands, God lets us take matters into our own hands, and God takes his hands off. Did you catch that? If we take matters into our own hands, they're ours. And God says, okay, you deal with it. But if we let God deal with it, then we are in his hands. And where can you find more assurance and power than to be in God's hands? Paul goes on to say in verse 20, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head. And that phrase, burning coals on his head, what does it really mean? I, we like to think it means that he's going to get blisters all over his head, and we feel pretty good about that. But that's not what it's saying. You know, some scholars believe that what he's saying there is if you're kind to a person, even when he does mean things to you, ultimately, if you keep being kind, he'll turn around and be nice back to you. And the truth is, that may happen and it may not. The truth is, it may happen, but the truth is it might not. But there's more chance of it happening if you are kind and don't back him into a corner. But here's the bottom line. You are responsible for you. You need to do right no matter what anyone else does. God's call is for you to express Christian love. And Paul is basically saying you express love by taking the high road. And that means you be willing to bend. You overlook. You forgive. You don't try to get even when, even when the other guy started it. You know, someone said that the easiest way to get rid of an enemy is to make an enemy your friend. Maybe they're right. But the best method to do that is to take the high road. There, there's a, an old song that we used to sing years ago. And uh, it, it's, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And uh, we don't sing it much anymore. But, but the point is, people will know that we are believers, not by what we say, not even by what we do but the way we love one another. And, you know, I, th I think this church is off to a great start. I, I just see a lot of, as I said earlier, hugging and sharing and some really positive things going. But we're probably not there yet. But I want to just encourage you to become a church that's known in the community by how you love one another and then let that love just spill out to everyone else in your community no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, and let God deal with them. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this group. And I just pray that you would take these simple words out of this little message today 
and just indelibly just burn them into our hearts and into our minds. That we will be people of unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, unconditional forgiveness. We will reach out to those who are really struggling out there. Those who are so different from us, we don't know how we can relate, but we can give a hug. We can share a handshake. We can reach into our pocket and maybe do something financially. But Lord, I just pray that you would anoint this congregation with a double dose of your love. And so, Lord, as we just wrap our time of worship up right now, I pray your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place with your power and your presence. Help us to get out of the way and just allow you to speak to us. I pray that you would reach each person right at the level of their understanding, right where they are on their spiritual journey. Take them by the hand and help them to move forward. In your name we pray. Amen.